Amen. Amen. Um, today, we're, we're, of course, we're still going through our series uh, through the book of John, and we in the last half of it, and we have a few more chapters left. Um, next week, we'll be getting into the high priestly prayer. And so today, we're in the last part of the uh, upper room discourse that we called it, where Jesus is giving his last instructions to his disciples before his departure to the cross. And what's interesting about this text is some of the stuff that you're going to hear today is not going to be new. It's not going to be stuff that is new to what Jesus has said already in this book. But what's going to be beautiful is the the, the different twist that he puts on it and the emphasis that he puts on the reasoning behind why he's saying what he's saying. But then not only that, um, he's he's going to help us to get a picture of some things post the cross. And so today, um, Jesus is going to dive us into the, the, the resurrection, the benefits of the resurrection, the benefits of the resurrection. Like most of the time, I know that we at Epiphany, we, we focus in on the cross. We believe that the cross of Jesus Christ is central. It's not just something that saves us from uh, sin and death and from Satan and from hell and from the wrath of God, but it also saves us while we're still yet on planet Earth um, and gives us the ability to, to decide against sin. It, it, like before we became Christians, <clears throat> we didn't have power to decide against sin. So the cross of Jesus Christ gives us the ability to, to draw on the nutrients of the work of Christ on the cross in order that we may walk differently. However, I want to talk a little bit about the resurrection today. Um, we're not going to talk about everything that the resurrection is about today. I just want to zoom in on how Jesus describes the resurrection here and some of the blessings of the resurrection, the promises that the resurrection bring. But then what does that look like in our lives and how we need to live in light of the resurrection? Are y'all with me? Jesus, in this last-ditch effort, begins to engage his disciples. And he engages his disciples, of course, about the, the, the reality of the resurrection, but he provides, them, he provides them with this. He provides them first with two things. I got two principles today, and both principles uh, from this passage have three supporting points. So I really only got two principles. That means I'll be probably 45 minutes today instead of an hour, all right? Y'all with me? I know some of y'all laugh. But you always say that. I'll be, I'm going to be a little shorter today. But this is dope. Jesus provides the disciples with a sense of purpose in light of the resurrection. Look at, look at um, verses, verse 16. He says, a little while, he says, in a little while, and you will see me no more, no longer, uh, no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us a little while longer and you will see me no longer, see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? So they wanted to know what a little while meant. We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves what I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me truly truly or amen amen or for real for real I'm saying to you you will uh, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn to joy 
Jesus talking about the purpose of the resurrection. Jesus, when he's saying, in a little while I'm dipping, in a little while I'm coming back, he's talking about in a minute, because in a few minutes, Jesus is about to get bum-rushed by a mob. And when Jesus gets bum-rushed by this mob, that is going to usher him into an illegal, uh, an illegal ceremony by the Pharisees, Sadducees, the high priest, and really the Sanhedrin, um, the leading group of, of the Jews. And what they're going to do is they're going to put Jesus on lockdown and put him on trial and crucify him. Well, Jesus, right after that, three days later, we know is going to rise from the dead again. We know that Jesus, for most of the part of the gospel, has been talking about his ascension, meaning his departure post the cross and the resurrection to the right hand of the Father to intercede on our behalf and to send the Spirit to the church in order that we may be empowered to continue Christ's mission on planet Earth. But Jesus says, listen, I know I've talked to you all a lot about the cross I know that the cross is central to my mission. However, um, there's something that is that, that, the, that without the resurrection, the cross would have no purpose. And so what Jesus begins to say is he says, I want to lay out to you uh, uh, the purpose of the cross. And one of those purposes is joy. Say joy. Um, joy is a word that is thrown around in the body of Christ. It's utilized in a way we even have um, we every almost every gospel song has in it. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we've kind of disconnected. Sometimes you hear a cliche over and over and over to the point where it begins to lose its potency and its application to your life. But in the book of John, joy is used in a beautiful way. I want to give an overview of it. Can I give an overview real quick? In the book of John, the word joy is used eight times. The first time, it talks about when John the Baptist talked about when, when he baptized Jesus and he experienced um, the fulfillment of the, his mission through Christ's coming and him passing the baton of proclaiming the gospel to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that my man John said, oh, he said, oh, man, he said, Jesus, my joy has been made full. And then we'll see over and over and over again in the book, we'll see over and over again in the Bible, we'll see in this, in this section where Jesus will talk about having joy or the fulfillment of joy. And most of the time, like we talked about a few weeks ago when we were in uh, John, chapter, um, John chapter 15, is joy is the, un, uh, the, uh, the unveiled satisfaction with knowing that you're in the will of God. That's what joy is. Joy is unbridled satisfaction with knowing that where you are in life, you're smack dab in the middle of the will of God. And we'll talk about what it looks like to have joy in the midst of adversity. But right now, let's just define joy. And so it's satisfaction with knowing you're where you are. There's not much frustration. There's not much degradation. I mean, even when there are hard times and difficult times, you have a clarity of knowing that you're in the will of God. And so joy to this point has been used with that. Jesus says in the the earlier part of John 15, and the latter part of John 15, rather, he says, he says, and make my joy. He said, this, by this, my, your joy is fulfilled. And he said, and he's saying, listen, the joy that I have in following the Father, I want you uh, to have in following me. In other words, there is a satisfaction. There is a sense of tranquility. There's a sense of a lack of displacement. There's a sense of clarity. There's a sense of potency. There's a sense of purpose because no matter what's going on, joy is that unmovable sense is that you're where God wants you to be. Um, And so Jesus knows that the disciples don't have joy yet. 
And so what he says is, so, right when, the, when I die on the cross, you're going to be sorrowful. And the reason why you're going to be sorrowful is because you don't understand the resurrection. Matter of fact, you don't know that I'm going to be raised from the dead again. So you're, it's going to be grief. Now, we're supposed to grieve over the cross because of our sin. But you've got to place yourself in the place of the disciples. They don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them yet. They, uh, they, they, don't, they, they haven't been transformed fully by the gospel yet because of the coming of the Spirit and being regenerated. So they're listening to Jesus' teachings without the, 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 uh, the runway that we have of the biblical record. See, most of the times we read the biblical record in light of what we know is going to happen, but sometimes you have to place yourself in the place of the people that are just getting this and they don't have all that we have. So Jesus tells the disciples, you don't really have joy yet. You don't have joy yet. But the resurrection is going to bring you joy. Now, he's still speaking in code to them because they don't have full clarity. And so what happens is the cross to the, to the, to the disciples, when they first experience the cross, is going to be grief alone. And because of that grief alone, they're not going to be able to experience the cross as a joyous experience. In other words, without the resurrection... The cross is merely just a good dude that died and was martyred and was unjustly crucified or was un, uh, un, unjustly uh, put under corporal punishment. But in light of the resurrection, it brings light to the cross. We're going to talk about that in a second. But Eugene Peterson has some interesting things to say about joy. Because we see in this passage that joy is used several times. We see joy in verse 20. We see um, uh, joy in verse... 22. Um, joy here is, is used a little bit differently, and I'm going to explain it. See, in most, in most of the points of the passage, it has to do with satisfaction and how it's been used in John. But here in this present passage, um, joy is presented as clarity and excitement that is the product of adversity. Excitement and clarity that is the product of adversity. See, what happens is, is David said, Lord, I'm going to meditate on your testimonies. Why does David do that? Prior to God doing anything in dark times and then coming through, what will happen is on the other side of coming through, you learn a lesson. See, when the people of God return from the promise, I mean, from, from being in captivity in the Old Testament, in, in Psalm 126, it says that you will sow in tears, but you will reap in joy. What does he mean by that? When you, sometimes when you're in the difficulty of a particular experience in life, that experience lacks absolute purpose. But when you get on the other side of it, or while you're in it, God gives you glimmers of wisdom. God gives you glimmers of grace. God gives you glimmers of that this, that you're not going through this for just any old reason, just because we're in a fallen world. But the providential work of God is working something together. He's cooking a stew. And so what happen is, is when you experience God on the other side or at the end or the inside of a trial, you get joy. Now, we know that joy for the believer is deposited by the Spirit at salvation as one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit. However, the joy remains dormant until it is resurrected through circumstance. And so what he teaches them is, see, the, the disciples don't have the fruit of the Spirit yet. And because the disciples don't have the fruit of the Spirit yet, understanding the principle of joy is real murky. And so they're, they're, like, they're like, what is Jesus talking about? 
And so, and so joy, joy is that thing that God will bring out of your life to bring clarity and excitement in the midst of adversity. And what will happen, listen, is when you get used to God giving you glimmers of joy, when you go through the next tr- time, what you do is you pull on, you go into your Rolodex and you go into your file of the fact that God has worked things out. You go back and remember how even though you were in the midst of that struggle, even though you were in the midst of that frustration, God showed up in the mix of it. And listen, because of that, what happens is you say, I need to grab a hold of the testimonies of God to give me a file of remembrance so that while I'm going through this, that I have a glimmer of joy. That's why the Bible says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. How do you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance? Because God said it, but then in your life you've experienced the testing of your faith produces endurance. Liking what God produces brings you joy. So you don't have joy because of circumstance. You have joy because of what God does in you in the midst of circumstance. You with me? And so Jesus is teaching them because he knows that all of this stuff is going to slip out of them. All of these things, because he told, Pastor Deuce talked about last week, that they can't bear everything that Jesus wants to tell them right now. But what Jesus does is he loads them up. (laughs) He loads them up with a glimmer of what things will be like post the cross and resurrection. That's what the upper room discourse is like. When the spirit comes on the life of the community, what he's going to do in the life of the apostles is he's going to remind them of all of the teachings of Jesus Christ so that the apostles can teach the new community so that the new community can have joy. But right now they're unclear. And so we have to, we have to know that I like the way Eugene Peterson describes joy. He said joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. He said it is a consequence of discipleship. He said, it is, it's not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. He said, it comes, he said, it is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. Don't miss this. Joy is, is, is the verified, repeated experience of those involved in what God is doing. Ah, See, if you're not involved in what God is doing then you can't rejoice because your passions haven't been renewed. See, in order for you to have joy in the midst of difficult circumstance and even to see purpose, God has to switch the game on in your spirit on what you actually like and dislike. See, sometimes God will take us through things to submerge us in difficulty so that he can burn away what we shouldn't like and resurrect and impute in us what we should like. And when that happens, we begin to have joy, not based on the way the world has joy, because the world's joy is fleeting and it can be removed. Jesus will say in a minute, the world won't be able to take your joy away. Why? Because it's in you. It's not just on you. That's a difference. We'll talk about that in a minute. It can be almost said that if we are not walking in the revealed will of God, there can be consequences. Being out of the will of God, like Jesus, again, in this passage, he's talking about what it looks like to understand things in light of the resurrection. Now, if joy has to do with the excitement and and, and, and beauty of knowing that you're in the will of God, 
then what will happen is, is your, our joy is cloaked, just like it is in the life of the disciples, when we're not in the will of God. See, Jesus says, in a minute, all y'all cats are going to scatter. Like y'all talking, y'all believe and all this stuff. He's going to say that. But all of y'all are about to dip on me. And what's going to happen is, is the disciples are going to be plunged into joylessness. Why? Because, because all the smack talking that they did, all that they said that they were going to do, all, all of the pep rally of their soul, I mean, they were bumping their gums about what they were going to do. But in a minute, every last one of the 11 was going to, I mean, it's like roaches when the light gets turned on in the kitchen, in the hood, or when, when you come downstairs for breakfast. When you turn on the lights, they've been eating, but as soon as the lights come on, cats is running for the hills, and you don't even know, they, remember that they were there. All you do is see the trail that roaches have been eating on something. This is the way it's going to look like when the disciples dip on Jesus. But what happens is, is in our life, when we're not walking in the will of God, and I'm going to talk about just some real principles that everybody always wants to know. How do I know I'm in the will of God? How do I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? How do I know, how do I know this is the man I'm supposed to marry? How do I know this is the woman I'm supposed to marry? How do I know this is the place I'm supposed to go to church? How do I know is this the job I'm supposed to go to? How do I know that this is the school I should go to? How do I know is this what I wear this morning? Should I use this toothbrush or that toothbrush? Um, should I buy this apartment or go to this house? Should I, I mean, everybody always deals with that issue. But at the center of that, that supersedes that reality of our superficial, sometimes, passions of understanding whether or not we're in the will of God is the principle of joy. Stay with a brother for a minute. But the first principle under the fact that, 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 um, that, that, that the resurrection gives us a sense of purpose is Jesus' resurrection gives purpose in pain. I've kind of talked about that, um, t- talked about that already, but we talked about how Jesus engages the confusion of the disciples. The disciples say, what is he talking about? What, what in the world is Jesus talking about that he's, um, he, in a little while he's going, in a little while he's going to return? And that's because they're confused about the purpose of Jesus Christ. And because of their confusion about the purpose of Jesus Christ, it is difficult for them to understand their purpose. See, the, 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 if you're foggy on Jesus and his mission, you're going to be foggy on who you are and your mission. You're always going to be foggy because that's why we harp on Jesus so much, because the clearer you see Jesus, the clearer you, you understand his words, his works, why he came, why he ascended. Then what happens is, is our lives are able to get in line with the beauty of the mission of Jesus. So the disciples, are, they scatter, they dip because they don't understand Jesus's mission. And so right here, they talk about that. But then, but then um, Jesus, Jesus talks to them. He says in verse 20, he says, truly, truly, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will, um, you will weep and, and, and lament, but the, um, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus says, Because of your improper understanding of my mission, you're going to misinterpret the cross. And because of that, you're going to grieve, not about your sin, but the fact that I'm gone. And so what happens is, is now that Jesus is giving us a good principle here. Without, again, without the resurrection, the cross is just a martyr. Let Let me say that again. Without the resurrection... 
the cross is just a martyr. Without the resurrection, the cross is just a death of yet a good dude or prophet. Without the resurrection, the cross, again, is just a martyr. Paul talks about this. Paul says to the Corinthians, the Corinthians are talking about, yo, there ain't no resurrection. We all we is, and we all this here. And Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's, let's give the, let's give Let's give you an understanding of why things will get jacked up if you think that there isn't a resurrection of human bodies. He says, first off, if, he, if we don't resurrect, then Jesus didn't resurrect. He said, if Jesus didn't resurrect, he says, then we should stop preaching the gospel. If we should stop preaching, if, if, we, if Jesus didn't resurrect, you won't resurrect, then we're liars for talking to you about this Jesus. Matter of fact, in, in light of that, our faith is unwarranted. In light of that, we are still separated from God. In light of that, funerals are hopeless. In light of that, we should rightfully be put on blast for the world because we're foolish, we're dumb, because there is no resurrection. But Paul says, yes, because there is a resurrection, um, because there is a resurrection, all of life has purpose and clarity. And because of that, the cross has purpose. That's why the cross is central to us. But the resurrection is an affirmation that God was cool with the death of Christ. And because of that, because of that, we have to live in light of the cross and the resurrection. You can just do a series on the resurrection by itself. Just the blessings. And we don't have time to go over Romans 6 to talk about the fact that the resurrection gives us power over sin, gives us the the power to embrace more grace in our lives, to experience the grace of God, the clarity of God, to reject sin, to walk in the the fact that we've been raised from the dead. Um, We we, we don't have time to talk about the beauty of the resurrection and what our body's going to look like when we get physically resurrected for real, for real, and live in eternal reign with Christ and all of the blessings the new body's going to be like. We don't have time to talk about our resurrection in light of the Christ-centered resurrection and what our bodies will be like. We don't know what we'll be, but we will be like him. But here in the text, he says, listen, without the resurrection, pain has no purpose. Pain has no purpose. And so we have to understand that there's a purpose in pain. Where do I get that from? Keep going. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for, the jo- for joy that a human being has been born into the world. My wife, man, my wife is, is, is a beast, man. My wife, man, she, she, she had my son with no anesthesia. Now, I, I mean, the women saying, well, the dudes ain't saying jack. But, um, like, I, I don't know what it's like to have a baby. Matter of fact, I don't know what it's like to get an epidural and to have somebody shoot a fat needle in your spinal cord. I don't know what it's like to have a baby. But all I know is God promised that it was going to hurt real bad. <laughs> and, and, and my wife, knowing the reality of the fall, said, no anesthesia. And, and while we're in there with no anesthesia, I mean, she, she, was, she had a pretty good temperament. Um, you know, um, to the point I'm standing there beside my wife, right? I'm standing there. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, baby, you ready? We took all of the Mars classes, you know, and I had, they had me strap on during the Lamar's classes, you know, what it's like to be pregnant. So I had to walk, all the fellas had to walk around the Lamar's class, you know. And so we got to experience the weight of it, but we didn't get to experience the pain of it. 
And so my wife, so my wife, my wife is in there with no anesthesia. And I'm talking to her, trying to take it. I said, breathe, baby. Come on, baby, breathe. She looked at me. And, I mean, she was looking at me like, brother, if you tell me to breathe one more time, as much pain as I'm in, I'm going to pull your jugular vein out. I'm going to snatch your skull up like this. I'm going to look at you and tell you to be quiet and put it back in your body and close your skin back up and then give you the ability to breathe. But I'll breathe for myself. So this lady, this other lady comes over. The lady just moves me out of the way. She's like, I'm, I'm, she said, she said, little short lady, too. She said, okay, vet, breathe it now. Okay, breathe with me. And she breathing with the lady and the lady. And I was like, now how are you going to let this lady, ain't your husband, come in and breathe all with you? But, I mean, I guess it was just the empathy of the fact that she'd had babies and I hadn't. So, I mean, and so, and so my wife was in all of this pain. She said, Eric, it hurts. I said, I said, all right, baby, okay. And she's telling me all this stuff. And then, then all of a sudden, um, the room just changes, and then all of a sudden, um, uh, I saw the head, and I was, I was really excited. I saw the head of my son, and my son came out, and when he came out, every, 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 I looked at my wife, and all of a sudden, when she saw Emmanuel, and we took him over to the table, I, you know, I, I left her and was all over with Manny, but, um, <laughs> but her whole demeanor was different, and when she looked at him, she forgot about what it was like to have him because she now has him, has him. And the joy of looking at him, looking at his face, watching him grow, watching him develop was so dope that she's willing to have another baby. Now, now I don't know about you, but this is, this is interesting to me. But Jesus uses this principle to show us what the principle of joy is like. When we go through difficult times, sometimes it seems, real pain, it seems real painful. But God always promises that something will come out of it that doesn't make us masochists like saying, okay, when the next difficult time going to come? I'm waiting. Come here, difficult time. You, that, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying it will give difficult time clarity because you've experienced what it's like to be blessed by God in light of that difficult time. And so the cross, the cross is the center of a difficult time. The resurrection helps us to look back at the cross not being null and void. And so G Peter says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, that we have been called to have cr a, a, a cruciform life. But then Paul says, listen, I attain to the resurrection based on fellowshipping with Jesus Christ's sufferings. Oh, man, that's dope. He says, but listen, he says, but what I'm attaining to, this is Paul said this is his goal in light of the resurrection. He says, he says, I'm attaining to what was attained to me for me by Christ. What was attained to Christ by, uh, for me. That's Philippians chapter 3, just in case you want to write it down, 11 through first, verse 11 through 14. And so Paul says, listen, the perfection, the perfection the perfection that Jesus attained for me on the cross, the perfect life that he lived, the, 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 the priceless death that he died without being guilty, and the perfection that his resurrection provides in giving us, uh, buying us back from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. I want to live in light of that reality. And he says, and that's because, and so when I go through difficult times, instead of getting frustrated, I press. I press. I press. Many of us, when we get in difficulty, we back up. But when you understand the principle 
that Jesus is talking about, you don't pull back, you press. Because we're pressing towards the beauty of the resurrection. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through about 17, he talks about the fact that difficult times pushes the life of Jesus out of us. And when we experience practically what that looks like, then what will happen is, is we will be unduly excited with the reality of the resurrection and the cross. It reminds me of a friend of ours. She had just gotten abdominal surgery. And I went up in the, um, in the room because she was sitting in there and she just had the surgery. She was in a lot of pain. I mean, she was pushing the button for more and more morphine, but it still wasn't working. And so, um, and so, and it, you know, they'd only give you a certain amount because, you know, if you get, you know, too much morphine, you go from just painkillers, you know, to, um, to seeing donkeys and pink um, elephants and stuff. And so, because she ran out, uh, she, she, she was still in pain. And so, um, what, I came in the room, and as soon as I come in the room, she said, Eric, she said, hmm, hmm. I'm, like, I'm like, what's wrong with you? She said, you silly, and because you funny, you're going to make me laugh, and I'm going to be in more pain. But what was surprising to me is that although she went through this surgery and was in so much pain, she still had the ability to laugh. See, when you have authentic joy, you know you're in the will of God. When you go through a difficult time, it doesn't diffuse your ability to experience the Christian life. See, many of us, when we go through difficulty, we just shut down. I mean, we, we just sh- I mean, shut down. I mean, every, everything, I mean, every, I, we don't go to nothing. Um, the blinds are still closed. We sleep and folk calling us. Somebody got to come in, open the door, turn on the lights, open the, open the thing so we can get about the, I mean, that many of us, we just shut down in the midst of difficulty. But Jesus says, no, the believer is supposed to be marked by joy. That means you get up, you brush your teeth, you still go get a haircut, you still go get your, 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 your nails done. If you got the money, if that's the trial, then don't get your nails done. Don't put on your credit card. Nothing. But I mean, I mean, you're still supposed to have a natural functioning life and Jesus promises that the believer will have a functioning life even though they go through difficult times. In other words, your purpose doesn't end because hell has broke loose. Oh man, if, if we as believers can understand that principle and, and that, that, that because sometimes in the flesh you're going to feel absolutely paralyzed from activating the power of the resurrection to do anything. But what happens is, again, we got to get on the Rolodex of that. I got to move. Jesus' resurrection not only, not only gives us purpose in our pain, but it also gives our prayer life purpose. It gives our prayer life purpose. Look at verses 20 through 24. It says, so also we have sorrow now. You have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. Dope stuff. He says, in that day... He's talking about in the day that he gets up, go, go, goes to the Father now. He says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the, fa- of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Now, what's interesting is we kind of already went over this. But Jesus keeps harping on this for some reason. This is the fourth time 
in the upper room discourse that Jesus said this. Jesus said it in chapter, I mean, in verse 7 of chapter 15. He said it in verse 16 of chapter, uh, of chapter 15. And he said it also in chapter 16. Now he's saying it again in the latter part of chapter 16. Jesus is talking about the assurance of answered prayer um, in, uh, uh, in, the, in the midst of difficult times. The resurrection is the fact that um, our prayers can be answered. When Jesus got up from the grave, Jesus wasn't just talking smack that we'd be able to pray stuff in his name and receive it, but he said it actually being done. Now let's talk about the, let's talk about the principle of in his name. <clears throat> just because we say in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayer doesn't mean that Jesus, God is going to answer our prayer. See, many of us say, Lord, I prayed in your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Shoot, he better show up. Or oh, in the beginning of our prayer, we're talking about something. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless you. I glorify. Then just start praying this stuff. And that's good. We should pray fervently and loud, all that stuff. But what happens is, is no matter how loud or soft you pray, it has to be in his name. Now, what does it mean to be in his name? In his name doesn't merely mean saying his name in the prayer. But name in that time period meant more than just mentioning of the name. It involved the mentioning of the name, but it was bigger than the mentioning of the name. It means character. See, a name carried with it the weight of a character that was known to a particular group of people in a particular place. Here in this context, the Father. Jesus says, if you pray in my name, that means according to my character. That means you can't pray something that's out of Jesus' character to pray. If Jesus can't pray it, we can't pray it. I don't care how much you holler. I don't care how many. You can, you can go back and go on like this and carry on and do all this and, carry, and, and tears coming down your face. You can get on your knees. I mean, you, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do, but if it's not something... If it's not something that, y'all crazy, that Jesus would pray, then we can't pray. Jesus says, and listen, it will be answered. He promised. Now, what is the thing in the context that he's asking us to pray about? See, that's the key. What is he telling us in context to pray about? He's telling us in context, based on experiencing his joy, that during difficult times that we would have joy in our circumstance. And listen, that will cover that will cover everything else that we're going to pray about because it changes two things. Uh, it changes our attitude towards the, in, in our prayer towards him and towards what we're, what we're praying. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to move. I'm going to move. I'm going to move. <laughs> this is funny. So Jesus, hey, my, when I'm blowing my book all the way to the book of Acts, all right. Back up in there. And so he says, so, so, so it gives up the resurrection gives our prayer purpose. Now, look at the end of verse 24, the C part. It says that, he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I like that. Jesus' resurrection, this is going to sound funny, but, but it's what the text is saying. Jesus' resurrection gives our purpose purpose. Jesus' resurrection gives our purpose purpose. Let me unpack that. When he says, ask these things in my name, 
that your joy may be not capped off, but experienced to the full. What happens in our prayer life is usually we pray about purpose. What happens is many times we pray about what our purpose should be. God doesn't answer that prayer the way we wanted him to answer that prayer, and we feel joyless. But Jesus says, when you pray according to my character, in light of the purpose of the resurrection, he says, your joy will be made full. So what will happen is what we thought our purpose was would be transferred to what our purpose actually is. Now, when our prayers are answered based on God replacing what we thought our purpose was for what our purpose really is, then what will happen is because our desires have been changed and we've actually prayed for it, when God the Father provides it because we prayed in Jesus' name, we get excited because God brought that prayer to pass, then we get real excited and we experience joy. Jesus says the only time that you're going to sense and feel that you're in the smack dab in the center of my will and experience Full satisfaction is when you pray in line with what my purpose is rather than your purpose. And so what what we, and and that takes time. That doesn't mean that we're going to always be right in prayer. It's okay to be wrong in prayer. Just don't get mad when God changes it. And so what God wants to do is God wants to tweak our lives. We're not talking about just nitpicking will of God. We're talking about the biblical purpose of what like people always want to know. What's Like most of us, when we think of purpose, we think of my job, what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I, I mean, let me explain something to you. Your purpose is bigger than how you're going to make money. Let me say that again. Your purpose is, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in life. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. The Bible has already told us, and we're going to do a series on the biblical meaning of purpose. In other words, the central things that have already been revealed, not the stuff that you were praying, ooh, I sense in my heart that I'm supposed to do this. Not those purposes. I'm talking about the purposes that are already written for every believer, like use your gifts, like um, love one another. That's your purpose. Share the gospel. Um, I mean, just basic things. And we see those as, now that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like other stuff. Like, you know, like, like we start going off into all, and, and, and sometimes they're valid things. But what we want is a subjective sense of purpose rather than a, uh, a biblical objective understanding of purpose. And Jesus says, listen, if, if, if my joy is being not capped off in your life, but my joy is being experienced in your life, you will have a sense that you're in my will. Of, in, the, in my will. And, there, and there are two things I'd like to say about that. First, what happens when our, our purpose develops purpose is we get an attitude adjustment. That means... We sometimes may be in the wrong, the right situation and sometimes just have the wrong mindset. Many times the reason why we're not experiencing the joy of Christ is because we're in, a, in the right situation, but we're not, we're not dealing with it properly. 
And so what happens is you mistaken, you're feeling a frustration and joylessness for the fact that God doesn't want you in that job or wherever, in that particular situation, in that relationship, whatever it is. And so we'll misinterpret. And so we'll move away from that particular thing. And then we'll go back. We'll grow spiritually and say, dang, why didn't I relate to that particular situation yet? So sometimes it's the right situation, wrong attitude. But then there's a life adjustment that might need to take place. That means wrong situation right or wrong mindset. Does that make sense? Wrong situation. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be with these people. I'm not supposed to be in this situation. So what happens is if you have the right mindset, you'll dip. If you have the wrong mindset, you won't make a life adjustment. Are you with me? But that comes from your purpose, developing purpose. I got to move. Our second point, last point, Jesus' resurrection provides disciples with power. Real simple. Power. Now, this passage is going to lay out what that power looks like. We, we can go all over the place of all of the power that we get from the resurrection. But in this passage, it's going to zoom us in on the clarity of the power that the resurrection actually gives. Y'all still with me? Okay, check it. He says in verse 25, he says, he says, he says, I have said these things. He said, I've said these things to you in figures of speech The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. He says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I am from God. I have come from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus' resurrection is allowing us to boldly approach the Father. Just a real simple principle. Jesus, see, Jesus is not saying that, that, like, he won't intercede on our behalf. He will, the Bible says he will intercede on our behalf, but not not only that, the Spirit in Romans 8 will also intercede when we're unable to pray the will of God. You know that there are times during your life that you're going through so much difficulty that you can't even pray for yourself? And what happens is, is that we'll need the body, we'll need the body, and we'll need Jesus, and we'll need the Spirit, we'll need the Spirit to intercede for us. And so what, what, but, but, but Jesus says in this passage is that you will have the ability to approach the Father. Now you gotta, now see that don't shock us, because we don't understand what it was like to try to approach the Father. See, ask the high priest what it was like to just go up in the holies of holies. Matter of fact, ask Uzziah. Uzziah got so arrogant, he was, thought he was so in the will of God. Uzziah said, you know what? I, I'm so righteous, I'm going to walk in the holies of holies. He got him a sacrifice, he got him uh, 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 some fire. Got, he, went, he said, I'm going to go light the incense. Man, the priest saw Uzziah running towards the, um, the, the things, man. Man, them dudes took off running and grabbed Uzziah and said, yo, don't do this, king. Don't do this. The king was like, Psh, I might not be a priestly lineage, but shoot, I'm about to go up in the holies of holies because, you know, I've been doing the kingdom real right. So I'm going to walk up in there. And it says, and when he took one more step forward, he became leprous. When the high priest didn't have his clothes on right and he went into the holies of holies, see, they had to tie a string on his ankle. So just in case they say, high priest, high priest, you okay in there? Sometimes you say, I'm all right, hold on, about to do the sacrifice, you'll see the fire in a second. Other times, 
High priest. Hey, high priest. You going in? No, I ain't going in there. Uh, oh, pull the string. So a group of guys will start pulling the string. The high priest come up out of that zone, you know, just, just dragging. Because he didn't enter God's presence right. But Jesus says here that things are going to change. Jesus says, I'm going to resurrect you with me. And when I resurrect you with me, when you go before the Father, he won't see you trying to self-righteously enter his presence, but he'll see me coming into his presence. And so what happens is, is Jesus tells his disciples, he says, after I die on the cross, after I get up from the grave, even though none of the 11 of you are of priestly lineage, you are now of priestly lineage because my blood on the cross bought you, raised you with the power to go into God's presence without being feared that you're going to drop dead in his presence. But then he says, not only does the resurrection, not, not only does the resurrection do that, um, gives us the ability to approach the Father boldly, but it also, the, the, Jesus' resurrection exposes our powerlessness. How powerless we are. Look at what Jesus says in verses 29 through 32. I'm about to close. He says, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly. Ah, y'all get it? We get it. And he says, and, and not, you ain't talking like in that funny language you're talking, that figurative speech stuff. He says, now we know that you know all things and that you don't need anyone to ask a question of you. In other words, you don't need to, like, you don't need anybody to clarify your stuff anymore, Jesus. Jesus looks at him. I can see Jesus smirking. You know, they say they believe. Jesus kind of looks at him. Jesus said, do you now believe? He doesn't say, oh, y'all now believe. It's a question mark. Do y'all now believe? Jesus answered and said to them, I mean, then it says, behold, the hour is coming indeed. It has come when you will be scattered, each of you to his own crib. And will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. (laughs) It's powerful here. Is that prior to the resurrection, these cats were wimps. There's people that talk smack, talk a lot of smack about what they're going to do. But then when the rubber meets the road, they dip. I pray that we don't act like pre-cross and resurrection disciples. That every time the heat gets turned up on our lives, we're ready to roll out. We're ready to roll out of commitments and friendships. Commitments and la- we, we from job to job because we, I don't like this one. I'm just going to go over here. I don't like this job. I don't like this job. I'm going like to go, go to this church. I'm going to go to that church. I'm going to do this. I mean, our lives are just commitmentless, just flighty. And, and, but, but Jesus says, no, nah, uh, what, what, what is happening is, is you don't, I mean, in a minute, y'all going y'all gonna to get it right. But right now, y'all don't understand. Since the resurrection hasn't happened, you're powerless to walk in your belief. But now, on, on the other side of the cross in the resurrection, we're powerful. We're, I mean, not powerful, but have the ability to walk in our belief. And so Jesus gives an explanation of that. And that's our last sub-point. Jesus' resurrection allows for wholeness in the midst of conflict. Wholeness in the midst of conflict. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world. This is, this is, this is a powerful principle. Jesus says, the reason why I just said all of this is that, is that you may go, because he said, you're going to have tribulation. Um, you're going to have suffering, and you're going to have trials. He says, but I want you to know 
that when you go through difficulty, my cross and resurrection is going to give you the ability to still have tranquility, still have wholeness, still be able to grow, not be battered by the winds. We're going to be like palm trees. I, I was with my wife and I were in Sonoma, California of the weekend. It's funny to see the palm trees. Palm tree is different. You know, we won't see palm trees that often in the, in the jungle. But, but the palm trees, the wind will blow real hot. I mean, on the coast, it's like 35 degrees. You go down the street, it's like 80. You go by the coast, by the Pacific Ocean, it's cold as I don't know what. And the palm trees, they would just go like this. I mean, the wind blowing hard. We, we going back and carrying on. But the palm trees, they, they, they get blown, so they show the effects of the fact that wind is blowing on them. But what happens is palm trees are still in the, in, in, in the midst of that wind, still able to remain rooted. They're still able to grow leaves, to grow fruit, and to, to even grow and develop. But, but, but God made palm trees in a way that they can stay rooted and see the effects that they're actually being affected by wind, but they're bending, they're not broken. And that's what God called us to in the shalom of our circumstance, the arene, the Greek word is arene, but shalom is the Hebrew word that it borrows from that we talk about all the time is the fact that you can still be holding your struggle if you're not experiencing wholeness some type of clarity it don't mean you know why God is doing everything but that means that you're still able to grow that you have pockets of time where you're not as weighted as you were because your joy gives you clarity that means, that means that you're walking in the joy of God and that the peace of God, the shalom that comes through the cross, not, not, just, not just you listening to your favorite cat, your favorite song, but, 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 but from the cross and the resurrection through Christ's name causing you to experience a sense of purpose and to experience a sense of wholeness, of tranquility, of knowing that, you, Lord, I'm going through this. And I'm frustrated, but I know I'm where I'm supposed to be because these are the cards that you have sovereignly dealt us. Many of us aren't experiencing wholeness because we're always coveting being out of tribulation. Don't covet that. Don't covet it. Because the longer, oh, I had, if I had time, but the longer you stay frustrated, the longer you're not going to feel whole and the longer you're going to be in that difficult time. But God has a time clock on every circumstance. But the issue is sometimes every circumstance doesn't end. So the question is, what are you going to do with the circumstance that you end? Are you going to try to enact, still enact what you want? Because some of our tribulation doesn't just come from being a, a Christian that's walking with God. Sometimes our tribulation has come from not wanting to walk in the will of God. And so God brought trials and suffering and frustration so that we can learn what his purpose is so that we can experience wholeness and no longer be disciplined anymore. Ah, I wish I had time, but let's go forward. But then, last and finally, last and finally, Jesus' resurrection is a, sign, is, the, is, is a sign of the fact that conflict doesn't have the last word. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. He said, but fellas, ladies, Epiphany Fellowship, visitors, take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, the English doesn't do this any, any, any justice. 
Jesus is 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 a it's a perfect, which means it's a past. It's a it happened. He's saying this as if it already happened. He says, "I have already overcome the world at a particular time." But he's talking about overcoming the world through the cross. And he says, listen, what we have to remember in the fact that he promises tribulation in the world, that even though we're going through difficult times, we've already know that we're in a fixed fight. See, and knowing that you're already in a fixed fight and God has already rigged how the end is going to come out, it can give us joy and hope in the midst of our tribulation. And so that's what we got to focus on, that reality. The Bible says that on the cross, in in Colossians chapter 2, that Jesus, see, at first it looked like Jesus had lost the battle. Ah, we got him. That's why the Bible says that the enemy will rejoice. But the Bible says that on the cross, Jesus Christ made a public spectacle of the rulers of this world. Why? Because the grave couldn't hold this sinless dude that had sin on his shoulders. And when he got up from the grave, he flossed the fact that even their greatest weapon to put an end to him was actually a tool in the hand of God to redeem the world. But in the midst of that, we draw on that, not just as a past event or that he's just coming back, but that has impact on how we live now. That means that the death and the resurrection gives us consistency in our ability to overcome any circumstance that we're in. And this is not just a pep rally or some, or, or some uh, uh, you call, motivational message to kind of draw up your souls to act like you can face the world. No, it's, it's something to give us clarity in the midst of frustration, give us clarity in the midst of difficult times so that we can focus on the right person and the right stuff in the midst of difficult times. Now, what we have to do is we have to draw on the beauty of Christ's resurrection, understanding that the cross has purpose because Jesus got out of the grave. There were a lot of people that died on the cross, and their death on the cross meant nothing. But this, this one dude, 100% God, 100% man, his death on the cross changed the game. And the game was changed because the grave that he was placed in couldn't hold him. Maybe you're here today, and you've never accepted that reality. Christ wants to change the game in your life, but you got to admit that you're jacked up just like the rest of us. you got to admit that all of us are fallen, separated from the life of God, separated from the purposes of God, and that Christ came to die the death that we can never die and be raised from the grave that we can never be raised from. That's what this is about. And if that's you today, there's a card. There's a card. If you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, trust him. There's a card that, that you can tear that out of, the, of your bulletin. You can fill that out. And um, Brother Ty, put your hand up. You can could, you could give that to Brother Ty at the end. We don't necessarily do an altar call here, but we do want to get with you. We want to talk with you. We want to engage you with the gospel. We want to talk about you because a lot of people come to altars. And, and, and like Brother Shaw was talking about Friday night at First Friday Fundamentals, many times there are false conversions because people think the altar saves them, thinks they're coming, getting up out of their seat saves them. That doesn't save them. Jesus saves you. And so, and so that's what we want to do. We want to be able to connect with you. Let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to move on to our next point in, in our gathering. Lord, Lord God, we thank you.